And welcome once again to EWTN's Bookmark. I'm Doug Keck, your host. Always a pleasure when our author is Dr. Scott Hahn. Holy is his name, The Transforming Power of God's Holiness in Scripture, published by Emmaus Road, available naturally through the EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com for all things Catholic. Speaking of all things Catholic, Dr. Scott Hahn, always great to have you here. Great to be with you, Doug. Especially here at EWTN. How many years have you been coming down here? Since 1990. Okay. So over half of my life. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing, is right. Yeah. Absolutely. So your latest book, how many books have you written? Do you know off the top mm, of your head? Somewhere north of 50. 50. Holy is His Name, The Transforming Power of God's Holiness in Scripture. With all the problems we have in the world today, is holiness really something we need to be worried about? Uh, more than everything else put together. I mean, it is the essential theme of the most important book. Mm -hmm. So what is Holy Scripture about? It's about the holiness of God. What are we about? It is the one thing for which we were made to become saints. The universal call to holiness is the theme that runs through all 16 documents of Vatican II. You know, in Hebrews 12, 14, strive for holiness, for apart from it you will not see God. Mm -hmm. First Thessalonians 4, 3, Paul says, this is the will of God for you. Wait for it. Mm -hmm. You know, what spouse, what career, what college major? No holiness, mm -hmm. your sanctification. And so it is so central. It's been something of a topic of my fascination for 50 years since my conversion as a teenager. Mm -hmm. Who did you dedicate the book to and why? I dedicated it to Father Jeremiah Hahn mm -hmm. uh, because he received holy orders uh, on May 21st, uh, 2021. And we've always had a friendship, but it was a father-son friendship. Mm -hmm. Now it's a father-father friendship. Mm -hmm. And uh, to receive his new priest blessing, and then to receive the Holy Eucharist for him the mm -hmm. next day in his first Mass, I mean, words can't begin to express the surreal, the sacred uh, beauty of that experience for a parent. Now, the forward's written by the great Peter Craved, who says, that like scripture itself and like life itself, this book is full of paradoxical identifications of qualities that are usually mutually exclusive. And he lists through five. Why do you think it turns always looks to be so paradoxical and opposite of what it is? Well, because we tend to think that holiness is something empirical. You know, you can see it, you can touch it, when in fact, no, you can't. Mm -hmm. I mean, for one thing, to salus sanctus, you alone are holy. Holiness is what is proper and unique to God alone. And so wait a minute, if God alone is holy, then how can we become holy? Well, mm -hmm. as Our Lady teaches us, you have done, the Almighty has done great things. If God alone is holy, then He alone can hallow. We can make ourselves good students, good mm -hmm. citizens, good spouses and parents, but the one and only thing for which we were made mm -hmm. is the one and only thing that we can't do for ourselves. And so Peter got it. We talked about it. You know, becoming holy is not becoming bigger and better, smarter and stronger. It's becoming smaller right. and closer to our Lord, just like Our Lady. Right. And 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 this is a kind of a pre preview of the book itself in the forward. He talks about five of them. And the first one, the first is the simultaneous transcendence and imminence, or sacredness and secularity. Right. You know, God is holy other, mm -hmm. and so He is. He is more unlike the highest angel than, you know, in fact, the highest of the seraphim are more like a speck of dust than they, all, than they are the Almighty. And so he is transcendent beyond all of creation, wholly other, and yet he is closer to us right. than we are to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we also tend to, we, we tend to 
polarized, you know, the sacred and the secular. But the sacred is not opposed to the secular. The sacred is opposed to the sinful. Mm -hmm. And once we get that right, then we can see that we can consecrate the secular labor and the fruits thereof by offering them in worship. That's what the Sabbath day was meant to do give you, us. Do you think that's part of our problem today is we've taken this kind of secular as being opposed to the sacred. That is the essential problem, mm -hmm. that we have basically eviscerated all public acknowledgement of God and the primacy of God, which is something that is knowable mm -hmm. to human reason. But we have tended to choose what we want more than what we need. He also says the second one is the union of unity and diversity. Yeah, I mean, we tend to distinguish and then separate and oppose, whereas in the Catholic faith, we distinguish to unite. We distinguish the human nature and the divine nature from Jesus and how they're united in the one person. We also distinguish the one nature and the three persons of the Trinity. The, the task of the theologian is to make distinctions, but not oppositions. Mm. And so when we distinguish holiness, for example, from righteousness, most people use those terms interchangeably. And they're obviously interrelated, holiness and righteousness. But what we'll see is holiness mm. pertains to the priest in the temple, whereas righteousness pertains to the king in the palace. And those two are obviously united, but they're not confused, and, or they, are they opposed? And so this kind of distinction making is an essential practical task of this book. He also talks about, the third one he talks about, the unification is the past with the present. Yeah, I mean, again, we tend to distinguish and then separate the Old Testament from the New. And the unity of the Old and New Testament is something that we've got to recover. We do it by showing how holiness was promised, it was prefigured, it was foreshadowed, but it never got delivered until the Incarnation. So the hinge of salvation history is the same as the pivot of the Old, Old Testament and the New. And again, once you get that, you're like, oh, that was hiding in plain view. Right. Number four, he says, a fourth union is the unification of the theoretical and the practical. Yeah, well, that's what this book is really trying to do because most people avoid the theoretical research needed to understand what is holiness, not simply what is my experience of holiness or what was Moses' experience at the burning bush, but what is holiness in God? It's the inaccessible center of his own love. Holiness is the perfection of love, and that's why it is peculiar, unique to God alone. But on the other hand, we've got to figure out right. practically how do you move from the head to the heart, from theory to practice, how do we become saints? Right, and that's number five, head and heart are thus unified, right. as opposed to this kind of faith versus reason kind of thing, We're most, separating these things. Yeah, most of the time you'll find that devotional books on holiness are 99 points, 99 points of heart, one point head. And so I wanted to kind of strike a balance here by going through salvation history to show how the mm -hmm. promise of holiness pertained to the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the priest vestments, but no one is ever called a saint in the Hebrew Bible. I quote Rabbi Joshua Berman, who showed me that. Daniel 7 describes how the Son of Man will give this holy kingdom to the saints of the Most High, mm -hmm. but that's the incarnation, that's the New Testament. So when you see that the promises of the old are fulfilled in the new, but they're fulfilled in a way that exceeded the highest hopes of the Hebrew people. Mm -hmm. And so head and heart, old and new, again, we distinguish in order to deepen the unity. 
It's always amazing because Catholicism struck me as always being both and. Right. Faith it's, works, right. scripture, everything always working. Human divine. Working together. In the preface, and I thought, it, you know, and you pointed out, but if holiness is so important, you know, it's interesting to note that the glossary of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it's on page number one right in the preface, right. Uh, has no entry for the word holiness, even though the word appears in five definitions of other words. Why? Well, because it's so indefinable. Mm -hmm. It's the essence of God alone, and it is the purpose for which we were made. And so in paragraph 2809, mm -hmm. there on page three, I discovered in the catechism the single best descriptive definition that's out there. Mm -hmm. The holiness of God is the inaccessible center of his eternal mystery. Inaccessible is reminding us of the holy of holies, which was strictly off limits, even to the high priest of ancient Israel, except on the Day of Atonement. So the inaccessible center of God's eternal mystery shows us that we cannot reduce the holiness of God to the creator-creature distinction, because that would make his holiness dependent upon there being creatures. Mm -hmm. So what is his holiness apart from creation and salvation? What is it? It's the perfection of the love of the Holy Trinity. Mm -hmm. So the love of the Father for the Son is the same as the, the love of the Son for the Father, and it's not a what, it's a who, it's the Holy Spirit. And so to recognize that eternal mystery mm -hmm. is to discover the deeper meaning behind the burning bush and everything else. I like this because you say we conclude then that holiness is the same thing as goodness or the same thing as courage or the same thing as philanthropy. Uh, and then you say, but when we grow older, we learn about saints like the irascible Jerome or the scheming <laughs> Cyril and the brusque uh, Padre Pio. Exactly, because we think, well, how could those people be holy if they acted that way at different times? Right. Well, I mean, once you can see that holiness is solely a divine attribute, God alone is holy, holiness describes what God alone possesses. So we become holy when we allow God to possess us, warts and all. You know, whether you're an introvert, extrovert, you know, mm -hmm. whatever personality type, wherever you fall on Myers-Briggs, to the extent that we recognize the primacy of God, we keep the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The only time holiness occurs in all of the Ten Commandments, you can see how the first table concerns the three commandments involving a relationship to God. To acknowledge the one true God, to call upon His name, and then to keep the Sabbath day through worship, individual but also group worship. Mm -hmm. And the three commandments are actually twice as long as the last seven. And yet in our culture, even in our church, we have forgotten the primacy of God. We speak so much about human rights, we forget about God's rights to His creatures, especially since He paid the price not only to forgive us and to heal us, but to divinize us. And that's really, the goal of the book is to show how we're not just acquitted criminals or patients that are released from a divine hospital. We are sons of God, and not just in name right. only. We share in the very life of the Holy Trinity. Well, you use that for a divin uh, that divinization and deification. And some in the old days, a lot of times people got nervous about that. It sounded very New Agey kind right. of thing. But that's not how it's being used, is it? No, I mean it is as old as it gets. It's ever ancient, ever new. But I mean theosis, divinization, deification, mm -hmm. to be made partakers of the divine nature. Second Peter one four, mm -hmm. not just observers of the divine nature. So that heaven is not just a kind of divine staring contest, it is sharing the very life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean, that's too good to ask for, and yet 
That's exactly what Paul means when he says, eye is not seen, ear is not heard. It's never even entered the, the mind of man what God has in store for us. Now, were you afraid that this book was going to be a slog to get through? Because you say here, don't worry, it won't be a slog. Well, for me, studying holiness back in the early 70s was something of a slog. Mm -hmm. Because in my evangelical Protestant world, we were all talking about it. But at the end of the day, you're like, okay, we have descriptions, we have stories, but we don't have much precision, much less clarity. And so over the course of my own conversion, discovering the Holy Catholic Church that comes from the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. discovering the Holy Eucharist and the Blessed Virgin Mary, you know, all of these things capture holiness in a way that was promised in the old, but unfortunately confused in much of non-Catholic biblical Christianity. Why, why do you start off in chapter one with spelling love, L-U-V, like the old uh, 60s, 70s? And it, it, I don't, do you really remember the summer of love? I do. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I 1967. Was, uh, yeah, I do remember it, but I was barely 11 at that yeah, point. Was, All you know, the the, the, narr the narrative arc of this book begins with my conversion around 1971, 72, mm -hmm. as a troubled juvenile delinquent teenager. Mm -hmm. You know, I not only found Christ and began reading the Bible, but I discovered R.C. Sproul, right. who was delivering talks on the holiness of God that became the runaway bestseller of all of his hundred plus books. And he lived less than an hour away. I would sit at his feet. I would stay at his house. We were there, you know, uh, living with him for three weeks, one January. And this idea that love, 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 the Beatles sang that with Magical Mystery Tour, you know, and all of that right. stuff. All you need is love. Yeah. You know, and. Right. Uh, it just seemed so saccharine, so counterfeit, like a, a false gospel. You know, cheap grace, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer described it, easy believism. Whereas if I'm going to lose all my friends and my lifestyle as a, you know, a, a hood, as we called it, mm. I want something more substantive. Well, isn't that the issue that we're dealing with today? And wondering why people don't go to church or aren't going to mass but for the same thing. Yeah, if I you're mean, just there teaching is a God the same who, thing I see on PBS, then why am I giving up my life for this? I mean, we believe in a God who makes fewer demands than our own employer. Right. It's ridiculous, you know, to recognize that we come from Him, we return to Him, we owe everything to Him, we pay Him practically nothing back, and yet He is willing to die for us. He's won the right mm -hmm. as our Creator, but how much more as our Redeemer? Right. It's interesting, too, because you talk about your own experience, and you don't criticize, but you point out, let's say, when you were going to church as a Presbyterian, to your parents' church, and the idea of what kind of, you'd get all different aspects of the faith being taught, but it was, it was pretty middle-of-the-road stuff. I thought it was interesting you said, and I remember this out of the Vietnam War, teachers and pastors were exempt. So these professions became enormously attractive, especially those who were inclined to love and peace. Right. Why'd you point that out? Well, because back then I figured something out that, you know, they're entering into the ministry, but they might as well enter into the Peace Corps mm -hmm. because, you know, their, their outlook, their worldview was a, a cheap form of diluted love that really didn't pertain to what I was finding when I was studying the Gospels. And I needed something more than just, oh, God loves you the way you are. I want a God who's going to make me be what he made me to be. I mean, he does love us the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us just the way like we you, are. Just like you love your kids That's just right. the way they are. And I punish them not because right. I stop loving them or start loving them less, right. but because I can't stop loving them. Right. If, if R.C. Sproul hadn't come into your life, would you be here today? I don't think so. Uh -huh. No, in fact, I, uh, I wrote an essay for a collection 
of uh, intellectual convert stories. And as I drafted it, as I edited it more, I became more deeply grateful for how God used R.C. Sproul in my life than on the day I was ordained a Presbyterian minister, like he was. And I can see how God writes straight with crooked lines, not only my own personal crooked lines, but even the pastors and the theologians who mentored me, like a midget standing up on the shoulder of giants, I could see still farther than them. And it creates a sense of humility and gratitude that, you know, I'm still growing into. Right in the beginning, page 11, 1937, the Protestant theologian H. Richard Niebuhr had summarized the unspoken creed of American Christianity. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. I mean, that, that could be 2023. That could be the Catholic parish down the street right, too. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a milk-toast, watered-down, false gospel that uh, makes it palatable. But a God who makes no demands on our life is really not the Lord God Almighty. Mm -hmm. You really have to end up falsifying all of the messages that you find in sacred scripture. On page 12, you talk about the, the idea of fear as a positive aspect of your faith. Yeah, I mean, three brief thoughts. So perfect love casts out all fear. Mm -hmm. Okay, I get that. But just exactly whose love has been perfected? So what we do is, once again, we distinguish the servile fear that belongs to a slave who's afraid of simply getting caught and punished as distinct from the filial fear of a son or a daughter whose love has not yet been perfected. So the fear of the Lord is filial fear, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of true wisdom, divine wisdom. In this section, Genesis of Holiness, page 21, holiness takes center stage for a moment at the Sabbath and then vanishes. Why? Yeah, so in Genesis 2, verse 3, God sanctifies the Sabbath, the seventh day, the sign of the covenant, which in chapter 3, our first father broke. So Adam was given sanctifying grace. In Genesis 2, verse 7, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Well, the breath of God is the Holy Spirit, and so theologians speak of Adam possessing and then forfeiting sanctifying grace, but sanctifying grace is nothing less than divine life. And that's why original sin for us as Catholics is, as the Catechism puts it, the death of the soul. Now his body doesn't die for another 900 plus years, but they committed spiritual suicide. Mm -hmm. For us as Catholics, original sin is not being born depraved, as I believed when I was a Calvinist. Mm -hmm. It's being born deprived. Deprived of what? The divine life that our first parents had and then forfeited by committing the original sin that we all contract. We get human nature, but we don't get divine life. And that's why baptism is described by Paul in Romans 6, not as just wiping away a stain, but resurrecting a mm -hmm. soul. More than Lazarus is raised after four days, we are raised to divine, eternal life. It's like, okay. And then in the rest of Genesis, kadosh doesn't occur another time to kind of indicate the catastrophic results of our first parent's sin. It wasn't just disobedience. It was the desecration of all things holy to which we were called. Kadosh. Yes. Explain. Kadosh is the term in Hebrew for holy. Mm -hmm. It's the word that is used in Genesis 2 verse 3 to describe what God did when he consecrated the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And so the seventh day is the sign of the covenant. You can see that in Exodus 31, 16, and 17. But it's the sign of the covenant that our first parents right. made with God and then broke and then are sent out of the garden with the two cherubim with flaming swords. Well, the cherubim are only located in the Holy of Holies. Mm -hmm. So ancient Israelite readers are going to say, oh, the cherubim are there by the Garden of Eden. That implies 
that the Garden of Eden was like the Holy of Holies, mm -hmm. that the whole cosmos was like a cosmic temple, that Adam was not just the, the first man, he was the high priest of humanity, mm -hmm. which the rabbis got. What the forbidden fruit was to Adam, the golden calf was for Aaron and all of Israel. Okay. Now, you also talk about here, and you, you alluded to their covenant, and, and over the years of reading your books, yes. th that's a major theme for you. Why? Well, because, you know, if I introduced Kimberly and said, hey, she's my partner, she's my friend, we sleep together, we've been cohabiting for decades, you kind of miss the point. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, uh, I have a contract with her. I renew my subscription every year. You're missing it even more. There was one word in Scripture that captures the notion of sacred kinship bonds, and that is berit in Hebrew, diatheke in Greek, and that is covenant in English. But again, we've watered it down, we've made it practically interchangeable with contract, a contract, this is yours, that is mine. Covenant, I am yours, you are mine. Mm -hmm. It makes all the difference in the world. If you miss covenant, you miss the message of Scripture. But it's more than just a theological concept. Covenant is, in a certain sense, the, the body of which the soul is holiness. If you keep the covenant, God promises Israel at Mount Sinai, if you hear my voice and you keep my covenant, mm -hmm. you will be a holy nation. They didn't hear the voice, Moses did, they just heard thunder, they didn't keep the covenant, they mm -hmm. worshiped the calf. And so, stay tuned because the new covenant alone will make us holy. Right, and of course Moses ran into his own issues later on. Right. Uh, on page uh, 36, you mentioned, it's not that he, meaning God, needs the best of everything, it's that we need to give the best of everything and we're disinclined to do so. Right. Well, you know, God gets nothing out of our worship, so why command it? Mm -hmm. Because he knows that he can fill us up with much more than we can gain for ourselves through our own work. So we stop work every seven days in order for him to do a work that is not just a creative work, mm -hmm. but a fatherly work of renewing our own share in Christ's divine sonship. And, and to me, once again, with a kind of laser precision, the notion of holiness captures the whole point, not just of sacred scripture, but of salvation history, creation, and redemption. Page 41, chapter 4, you make the point that Moses first pleaded Pharaoh, neither he nor the Lord God was seeking, I guess, to be let free, but the freedom to celebrate the liturgy was really what his first ask was. Yeah, go back and read this. This is sort of a bump in the road because mm -hmm. plan A is let us go for three days to worship and offer sacrifice to the Lord God with no provisions of liberation. Plan B is Pharaoh won't comply and so there's going to be political liberation. Mm -hmm. Well, God, with all due respect, why not just cut to plan B? Because God wanted Moses and Israel to learn that if you are spiritually mm -hmm. liberated, then even political slavery can be the means by which you're going to end up sanctified, which the, the remnant discovers later on in the period of the prophets as they are enslaved in exile in Babylonian captivity. Right. They are the apple of God's eye. They become holier than those who are rich and famous back in the capital city of Jerusalem. Is that why per persecution in many ways purifies the church? Yeah, I mean, persecution, suffering, death, all of these things represent the chisels in the hand of the divine sculptor mm -hmm. who wants to turn us into something more than granite. He really wants us to become saints, but again, he alone can do this. We have to do what we can do. He has to do what he alone can do, but we have to profess that we recognize the difference. And that's why the Sabbath command makes us holy, mm -hmm. not by requiring us to do religious works, but by ceasing from all of our labor so that can, God can really get down to business and make us holy mm -hmm. through worship, you know, 
but at the same time, it isn't by grace apart from works, mm -hmm. but it's not by works. And so the grace of God enables us to consecrate our labor and offer the fruit of the labor in the liturgy. And just before we go, because uh, I wanted to touch, uh, pick something up very at the end, but this I thought was very prescient. In, in, in thinking about the church today, the idea on page 45, uh, but that was not the reason Israel clamored for a king in the time of Samuel. They wanted a king so that they could be like all nations and expressing their desire. They were rejecting their special vocation to be a nation set apart. Well, this is an important distinction. Righteousness pertains to the king, holiness to the priest. Outside of Israel, it's the other way around. Mm -hmm. The king is over the priest because political power is more important than anything religious. And so when King Saul intruded into the priest's office of Samuel, or when King Uzziah enters the holy place and gets leprosy, and the priests drag him out, we've got to subordinate our economic and political interest to the Lord God Almighty through worship. That is the only path to holiness. And we shouldn't be worried about what the world thinks of us. We should be more concerned about what our Lord thinks of us. Absolutely. And speaking of that, just before we go, you, uh, you've now written a book that I can actually understand, Seven Clues, a Catholic <laughs> Treasure Hunt. Uh, you wrote along with a Maureen Rowan McKeegan. It's, it's actually a kid's book. It is. Right. It's based upon the Lamb's Supper and some other right. books of mine. It, we've had birthdays with scavenger hunts. Well, this is the holy day of Sunday, and what we do is a kind of treasure hunt. So we go through seven clues that lead children to recognize what is going on in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. It is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Right, exactly. And, and the treasure, you got another book in the works? I'm sure you do. I do. I've got three or four. Yes. Okay, well, maybe when you finish one of these. One of them is almost by. done. It's called okay. Catholics in Exile. Okay. And it's, I think, a really important book that we need to okay. think about. Well, it's always great to see you and speak with you and listen to your great work. Thank you so much. Dr. Scott Hahn, two books, Holy is His Name, The Transforming Power of God's Holiness in Scripture, available through our catalog. And, of course, the kids' book, Seven Clues, A Catholic Treasure Hunt, perfect for Easter. And of course, all available through our EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com for all things Catholic. I'm Doug Keck. Thanks for joining us here on EWTN's Bookmark. We'll see you next time.